Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. When are you going to push the button? Hey, welcome to the True Wealth Show. This is Dave Little John in studio with Katie Shook. And I guess I skipped the whole, all right. All right, all right. Oh, I know, right? Uh, so, gang, it is your favorite Tuesday you've had all week, and it is the best show you've been listening to just now. So we're glad you're here. And uh, by the way, let's let's do that for like sincerely for a second. I mean, we kind of ramble through it pretty quickly every show, but we are actually very blessed and appreciative of our listeners. Like, oh, I we, love the listeners. They're actually like, a super we, fun group. We want to say thank you for listening and tuning in with us and trying to keep it live. And a lot of you What's respond. the number they could call just to like wreak havoc? 673-4464. Is that I it? I believe so. 541-673-4464. Right. That's the call-in number. We're going to make that work again so you guys can call <laughs> us. Or we're just going to have you call the radio station enough and bug them to where they will make that work nah, again. We're going to make Aww. it work politely. We're, you know, We love the radio station, too. The folks here are great. Uh you know, Brook Communications is wonderful. Uh, so I. Uh, They're a hardworking local yeah. radio station. Well, you know, and Stations. especially given the, you know, this 2020 has been just a real challenging year for It's businesses. like watching a car accident. Yeah. Like, you know it's going to wreck, and you're still sitting there with your eyes peeled wide open just watching it happen. Yeah. There's a train wreck in slow motion. Uh, it's, it's funny, as investors, we have. Uh, the markets have done remarkably well in many pockets. They've not done well everywhere. That's the interesting thing. Uh, the markets are very disguised by the fact that the major indexes are tech-heavy, and the tech-heavy nature of them is sort of hiding the underlying components of the market, and it's it's sort of hiding some of the way the sausage is getting made. Right. It's not all pretty. So I get I get funny comments from people often, right? Like my social circle. So I get comments like, oh, the Dow was up today. And I'm yes. like, okay, are you invested in the Dow? Well, the, I well, mean, I don't know. Yeah, the Dow, well, it's like... it represents industries, and there is, there's good evidence study-wise that, uh, you know, better than 90% of investment return comes from sector allocation well, and, or, well allocation way, in general usually they're talking about stocks versus bonds but i'm not even know. picking on the dow i'm just saying it's interesting when people are like oh well the dow's up today mm -hmm. and it's like well if you're not invested in stuff that the dow's invested in then because like what does that comment mean to you this week right now today s p 500 down about a half a percent Dow down just over half a percent. Nasdaq down 0.21 percent. But what was it yesterday? I d well, I'm not done with this. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, point I'm sorry. Because the Russell 2000 is up 0.37. So the Russell 2000 is up. But everybody the else is down. Dow and the Nasdaq are down. And you th and and if you're sitting there going, huh? What does that mean? Well, they're they're a bunch of smaller stocks. The Russell 2000 is the small and mid cap index. Right, okay. and the S and P five hundred is the five hundred largest. Right, stocks. and and they're actually different index. Like Russell makes a large cap index too. It's the Russell one thousand. Oh well, there you go. Right, so there's a Russell one thousand, the Russell two thousand, and then all of them together is the Russell three thousand. But remember, Super our industry clever. is not very creative, right? So three thousand, the three thousand small and mid cap and large stocks, like it's well, and then you kind can of the get top like the Wilshire players of their field five thousand, which is. I've you never know, even heard of that one. The Wilshire 5000 is kind of like the total market. Oh. It's not really the total market, but it's a lot more representative. Okay. okay. And 
But I mean, but thing. David, do people say things like that to you? Like, oh, well, the Dow's up like, you know, 5% today. Sure they do. It's like, okay, and? <laughs> I'm like waiting for the rest. Like somehow that's a complete sentence. It's like, well, you stated a fact, but does that affect you personally? Yeah. Are you it's invested totally in stuff? complete sentence. Right. Uh. <laughs> it's like, well, yes, it is. Yes, you're right. The Dow is up today. Yeah. How does that affect you as an investor? Are you invested in stuff in the Dow? Because if you're not, then why are you watching that index? Like that doesn't. You know, it's like watching your apples on your tree, wondering how the oranges are going to turn it's, out. It, it, this would be what I would say. This is the the tyranny of your benchmark, right? So The tyranny of your benchmark. Oh, one That's day I, a great phrase. Let's day, unpack that one for a minute there. The tyranny I of your write benchmark. I want to write a series of essays, and it's the, the tyrannies is the, uh, the essays. Oh, and goodness. I've talked about, like, in the investment landscape, one of them is the tyranny of the prospectus, right? The very thing that protects the investor by in a mutual fund. It explains. Here's the contract. It explains the rules of engagement for your money manager. And yet that contract will also, in certain environments, hamstring the money manager in such a way that they, they must stay in a box. And if that box is the wrong box, they're they, in trouble no matter what. Yeah, they still have to stay in right? it. So the tyranny of the prospectus yeah. is what was designed to protect you also harms you as an investor. Because if you if the if the manager is not given the freedom to escape that box, yeah. you know, it's like the hey, box the is ship, on fire, but he know, still has to stay inside. <laughs> yeah, or I, I like to use it as you're you have a fleet of ships and you say you have to stay on this one that's the one that's sinking and you're like can i get on the other one no, no. you must do the best <laughs> you can in your sinking ship it's like oh. darn yeah that's a rough spot so that's to the be perspective in. but the tyranny of the benchmark this is a huge gotcha for investors right it's a huge gotcha because now katie let me ask you how many times have you have, have we had a, a client come in and they say they wanted to compare their investments to the s p 500 um lately it seems like more frequently than i've ever seen like everybody that seems to be the thing it's like well you know the s p's up this year how well, are we doing and part of it's because we talk about the s p 500 a lot like that's kind of our gauge a little bit so what happens is for investors, behind the scenes, now I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about Little John Financial just for a minute, okay? And I know we don't typically do a lot of this on the show, but it's relevant. This is educational. This is not a sales pitch. I just want you to understand something that we do as a fiduciary shop. Our investors, when we talk to folks, you got to understand risk, and so we need a gauge for how we we are going to manage risk for an investor to be a proper fiduciary. You got to know how much risk you're allowed to take. So we have some benchmarking tools that we take folks through to identify a risk, a spot on the risk spectrum. And so we grade them on a curve and it's a zero to 100 score. Okay, And let's say that an investor takes this test and ends up at a 50 on the scale, right in the middle. Okay, And then they come in and they say, well, how did I do compared to the S&P 500? Here's the key question. What is the risk associated with the S&P 500? What is the risk associated with and, it? And it's mid 70s, right? So it's like 74, 75, 76. Okay, somewhere in there is about the risk metric. Okay. So if you're a 50 and you're comparing yourself to a 75. Yeah, you're you're comparing yourself to more risk than you said you were willing to take. Right, it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison at this point because they're really different strategies now because one of them has far more limiting risk. And this is where that tyranny of the prospectus I just teased about right. matters because if you define the prospectus as for your fiduciary manager as this box and then you compare it to a different box 
there's a good chance that you can be unhappy if your box underperforms the other box. Now, uh, we looked pretty darn great. If you were a 50 investor in March when the S&P was down by 30 plus percent, and you may have been down half of that, and you felt pretty warm and fuzzy. I okay? still don't think people felt pretty warm and Well, you didn't feel warm and fuzzy, but you felt a lot smarter than everybody else that was I That's an destroyed. interesting. So let's talk about that for a second because, you know, when people are winning then it's like, well, why am I not winning as much as that one? But when people are losing, nobody goes, "Oh, I'm not losing as much as that one." Ah, uh, this this it's is a, that's a double-edged sword well, too, by the this way. This is all about it's, it's the tyranny of the benchmark, and it's the idea that returns are absolute on the way down, and they are relative on the way up. Explain that comment. Um, absolute is I had a hundred dollars and I lost ten percent. Okay, uh, I now have lost ten dollars. Right, so you have that's 90. an absolute loss of ten dollars. But the 10% could be, well, the S&P lost 15% and I only lost 10%. So relatively speaking, I lost less, less so I'm okay. than the S&P. And so uh, when everything's going up, if you're making money, people tend to not say, well, I had $100, now I have 110 They tend to say, well, I made 10%. But if the S&P went up by 15 they're saying, doggone it, I wanted the 15 right? So you'll chase the highest percentage on the upside, but you want the lowest absolute loss on the downside. Uh, got it. Right. Okay. So that's the the trick is that uh, you you have to kind of pick a yardstick and stick with it. Well, and it is interesting too as investors because sometimes you say, okay, you know, if if I had a hundred dollars and my goal this year was to make one hundred and fifteen, and I made one hundred and fifteen, right? Then you should be like, sweet, I met my goal. You shouldn't be like, well, I could have made one hundred and twenty. It's like, well, right. but your goal was one hundred and fifteen. You met your goal. Be well, happy. <laughs> you know, I mean, then that's 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 a challenge we all suffer from. Oh, I mean, sort oh of this, yeah. The the numbers and the the temptation to to pick the very best benchmark and want to beat that. That's the idea of winning everything every time. Okay, that is what. Really... There's nobody in the world like that ever. Exactly. What? It's pretty tough. Which is also why we're such proponents in our office of developing a plan or a strategy because now you've got some goalposts out there and you can figure out am I on track or not it's less that I need to benchmark against the very best performing index which can be pretty disheartening if you do that year in and year out right and saying well for my strategy to work for what my goals are this is the the hurdle I need to clear and you can ask am I clearing the hurdle and, and then you can go out there and chase benchmarks. But the first thing is, <laughs> let's clear the hurdle well, yeah. that makes your plan go. Oh, there you go. Good point. So, all right. Well, look, uh, it's a great segment uh, opportunity right here. Why don't we take our first break? Because the clock says so. And we come back. Uh, I want to unpack a couple new ones. This one will be fun. Uh, I want to talk about recognizing um, uh, promises you can't keep. So we'll cover that and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. And thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. With Katie Shook. And reminder, if you are just missing or just tuning in, just you're not it. missing out. <laughs> if you're just missing out on the first segment, then you can catch it on our podcast. So don't be afraid to do that. Check out littlejohnfs.com, and it'll be under the Educate section where we'll have the entire show. And here's a really cool thing. If you want to sign up for uh, our newsletters and other feeds and things, which we don't send a ton out, but you can get a reminder and you can 
we'll we'll actually tell you when the show is going live. We try to make on. things relevant. Like exactly. we try to, we don't just try to spam you to spam you. So My you're inbox annoyed. is so full. I am not going to torture somebody else like that. That is true. Yeah, but when I get like five, and somehow, do you have like anybody who's gotten your email, but like multiple emails, like they have your work email and your personal email, and then I get like the same email in like five different places, and I'm annoyed, and I'm like, how did it? How'd you get all those? Because I didn't. And no matter how many unsubscribe lists, they're still like everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hydra, right? You cut it off totally one head is a hydra. And, and two more come. Oh back. my You're gosh, like, oh it's my exactly gosh. true. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> the email hydra. <laughs> okay, look, I, I there's been something that's been on my mind, and I want to share it with our listeners. What's that? Well, this is the too-good-to-be-true offer out there that some folks, I think, get duped into. Okay. Right? And as, as a fun um, experiment, I'm just going to go to Yahoo Finance right now. And on the front page, I'm going to just start scrolling. This isn't even my computer. I am using the computer at the, at radio, the station. radio station. And um, I've gotten down to the first ad, Finance PhD, Move Your Money Before 2021. Uh, I can scroll just a little bit lower. It says, let's see, big electric vehicle story, everyone's missing. What? Um, how about here's- Electric vehicle story. This is a favorite. Young trader has quietly made over a million dollars in 2020. You mentioned that today. Okay. And this is just all on the same page here. How about oh, Sean Connery's net worth left his family in tears? Oh, I just really want to click because on they're these, like right? super rich the, now and don't the, know what to do the or what is strong here. Uh, you know, because Sean Connery has recently passed. Oh, uh, oh, don't pick on Sean. Oh, I'm not picking on Sean. I like Sean. So. Anyhow, I just watched Indiana Jones and I loved him as the dad in oh, Indiana he Jones. Fun. He was just amazing. So here's my favorite of those. The young trader has quietly made over a million dollars in 2020. And then underneath it says, with no prior experience, Kyle Dennis decided to invest in stocks. He owes his trading success to these strategies. Oh, I must click. Right? Yeah, because if he can do must. it with no experience, then everybody else can do it with no experience, Clearly. right? Well, and, and of course, it implies that he's a real person, right? Like, uh, maybe, but I, I have no idea if this is a real person or not. And uh, this seems to be this theme. And and I do, I have people that will reach out to me and they go, well, what do you think about this? Or I read about that, or I heard this thing about. I feel like it's the get-rich-quick scam, like scam skinned in a different color. Well, because it is. Okay, this is the... What what we're doing is remember in the the basics of motivation, you know, it's either fear or greed, right? You know, I, I want to avoid pain or I want to seek pleasure, and so the idea is. Is this Maslow's hierarchy? <laughs> I think it's the Tony Robbins hierarchy, but <laughs> fair enough. Okay, but I think it works either way. Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow, says that you, Tony, same yeah, person. You know, really, that says that you can't move on to the higher level order stuff until you get your basics, basic house you know, your in food order, security and shelter. And yeah, that kind food of thing. shelter. Yeah, and then you can move on to you know beginning to save and so forth. And you don't think about the philanthropic and the the you know the big picture stuff until you've stabilized the base of your financial pyramid. Right. Uh, this one is more about just appealing to people's greed, frankly, or this desire to get rich quick. And the idea that the stock market is somehow a lottery system, and if you can just get lucky and pull the right lever, that you'll be the next gazillionaire. 
I like how, you know, nobody ever mentions like, oh, yeah, I won this money, but I also lost all this other money the other times I tried these things and it didn't work because that doesn't make a story. It's their advertisements. If you notice, I mean, Yahoo at least will say it's an ad. Right. right it'll flag it as such. That says, this is an ad from somewhere. And so Stansbury Research is one of them. And then the. Um, the so what the, are they advertising? They're advertising. So their... Bull is the ad for this trader here, the, the young trader that's made millions. And what what's happening here is there's this there's some psychology at play. First of all, it is and there are lots of variants on this. You've seen like, you know, this manager that made the right call on Amazon years ago says this will be bigger than Amazon ever was. Right. So like, then you're like, oh, I should it? get right? it. You know, or, the, you know, our, this young kid who made, you know, one point six million dollars last year trading has these three stocks in his portfolio. Oh, right. snooze. And okay, so here's my first question. I know how much security is wrapped around anonymity in our industry as far as, like, who's doing it. So in order for anybody to even know that this kid made a ton of money, he had to basically brag or if he is a legit kid. I will go or, a step farther than and that. And, like, it's, say that he's I advertising. I don't know if it's or, legit or not. Maybe, maybe somebody did, right? Maybe. But – invariably you have like i have seen this before uh where I've, I've gone down the rabbit hole because i was trying to get educated on this it's harder to sucker me because i am such a skeptic now because having done nearly 21 years of trading and investments i can and, yeah. tell you that it's really hard to get an information advantage and it's getting harder and right? harder it's really hard to get an information advantage so then it's like, well, do you have, what's your system or what are you doing? And I've, the, the stories that I usually see are running the gauntlet with penny stocks. Let me explain what that means. Okay, You start with $5,000. And the, here's the thing. If you read in the fine print, these are fictional results. They say, if you had done this, this would have been a trip where you could turn $5,000 into $1.6 million. And how do they do it? it? Says, well, first you buy this obscure penny stock that you've never heard of that you can get from our list, right? That's the of the course, right? So you can buy the penny stock, and then you buy it for twelve cents and you sell it at peak value, and it's a dollar forty. Okay, so your five thousand dollars has rocketed up by whatever that is, eight hundred percent. So right. it's up to forty thousand dollars now. Okay, and don't grade the math here. Just just work. With <laughs> just me. follow along. The with next it. one is you take forty thousand dollars now and buy a single penny stock again, and you buy this one for twenty five cents and you sell it for a dollar twenty five. Right. So you've taken and you've made a dollar on this, or you've 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 magnified it by four hundred percent. Right. Your, your quarter okay. is now worth five quarters. So your forty thousand is up to what a hundred and sixty thousand. You go buy the next penny stock for 50 cents and sell it for $2, right? And so you can see what happens is, well, if I invested $160,000 in a penny stock, then I sold it for $4, right? Oh. Now it's worth $580,000. And then if I turn the five, buy that $580,000 in a penny stock and I make another 60% So all return. you're doing is doubling down on your wins, but how many people are going to be that lucky that many times in a row? Well, not only that, here's the gotcha. It's almost impossible to do because when $500,000 shows up in a penny stock and that stock usually trades $17,000 a day in volume, 
What do you think happens if $500,000 swoops in and buys up a stock that only trades $17,000 a day in volume? You artificially raise the No, value. you become the entire market. Well, you, that too. you are the market. You are maker, the market. So you right? can't sell it because now you need to find all those people to buy all your little right. portions. Who's going to buy $500,000 when wasn't you have to there, sell 17000 a day? Wasn't there a weird... I remember a story, and I can't remember if it was like a pen or a it watch. Was. What I, was the story? I, so these were some associates that I, I knew. And they, I mean, this is they, a real story. This is a true story where they unintentionally using a quantitative process for buying and selling... They used a stock screen, but they forgot to look at the daily trading volume of the stock. And one of the stocks that showed up on their screen was Cross Pens. And they went out and they bought Cross Pens for their entire book, book of, of business, business, which was big. Yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, many, many millions of dollars. And so they go out and they buy a $15 million position or something in Cross Pens. And it turns out Cross Pens trades $40,000 a day. And all of a sudden, this is exactly what they did, is they became the market maker. Cross Pens shoots up by 17% in a day. It was all their buys. And then it took them months and months and months to, to unravel work, to work it and unwind back out it. Of that yeah. trade. So mechanically, it may not even be physically possible to do what some of these people were advocating because they're doing this academically on paper. Well, if you did this and then this and then this, but as soon as you drop $500,000 in a penny stock, it changes the behavior of the stock. Right. Unless you that become the market stock, maker, which is what yeah. you just said. Well, yeah, because 500K into a stock that trades $10,000 a day is bananas. Oh, yeah. Okay? Now, $500,000 being dropped into something like the S&P 500 that trades in the bazillions per day. Right. Then it's a, a percentage. It's, yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter. Like, they just suck it up in the trade if they barely notice it. It's just a normal. It's like, you know what we call that? Tuesday. Right? <laughs> so no big deal. But you have to be aware of these trading elements. So it's proportion, right? I mean, it's 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 the difference between dropping an apple in a pool versus, you know, dropping an apple against an apple or something or dropping an apple on a Yeah, tack. I'll use a more graphic and disturbing analogy. It's the difference between, uh, you know, peeing in the punch bowl and peeing in the ocean. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, David, you really went there. Okay, fair and, enough. And every listener just understood. Oh, right? that's disgusting. <laughs> You're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gross. People don't. Oh. And I totally get it. Oh, dude, <laughs> really? That's your. Gosh. I apologize for my co I don't apologize at all. I think it's that important to know that this stuff. But that's the difference, it's, right? It's, like, it's the rounding error versus it makes a huge impact. Yes. So. And so that's part of it. And then understand this, too. If somebody has a secret to the stock market, why are they giving it to you? Yeah, why are they, they keep selling it, it to you? When they keep it, it for themselves I mean, and just make a ton of money? Cause, cause, and I, I've, I've asked this question before, and I had somebody, Sean, well, I just thought they wanted to make money on it. And I thought, but that's what you do with the secret, right? If, if I could take $5,000 and turn it into $1.6 million in a year consistently, I won't tell you how to do it. I'll just print my money and happily go about my days and not tell anyone how it works because the market hates exploits, right? right? If you find an exploit to the market, the market is going to find a way to work the exploit out of the system. I was going to say it waters it, it down. It goes away. Yeah, like if everybody does it, then it waters it down it and then it becomes, doesn't become no, an exploit anymore. Yeah, it's no longer an exploit. And that's exactly what it is, is that it's like, oh, we found... Um, uh, hackers found a way to break into the system. And so what do the engineers do? They patch it so that you can't do it anymore. Yeah, that market patches those holes. So 
people don't sell secrets. What they do is they sell excitement to you so you'll pay them because they're actually making money off of you, not the markets. Right. Now, do some people make money off the markets and still maybe again, but I'm suggesting if it sounds too good to be true, it might be big shocker. Well, it very well may be. What are you what are you buying? I think that's the question yeah. that you need to ask yourself. What are you buying? I mean, are you just seeking information to seek information so that you can be better educated? Or are you trying to get rich quick? Because right. what is your motivation for what you're buying? I mean, if you're buying something that you're or learning. Let's try it this way, too. How about not just what are you buying motivation wise, but how much risk are you actually hopping on board versus what you think you're doing because i've also seen uh, I, I i've seen folks that will go out and spend thousands of dollars on sort of a newsletter service that they will email them in the morning and say here's the trades that you need to go put on and make right and they kind of give you the instructions here's what happens though you enter the trades you now take on the responsibility there's there, there's no uh requirement that this these this group produces an outcome that's favorable to you if they want to sell you the newsletter or the subscription again, they need to try to find a way to be successful enough that you'll keep buying from them. But if it's a big enough hurdle, then it may simply be that they just need to convince you, well, fine, spend a few thousand dollars this year and I'll move on to the next person and convince them. And the success is less important. They just needed to be successful enough to separate you from your money. So there's a thing called front running. Would they be front running if they're selling you the information? Like if they, no, I mean, if they went not necessarily, that's a front running in this case is if you know a big trade is coming, you place the trade ahead of it because that big trade is likely to move the market. So in our previous example with cross pens, Katie, if you knew that they were going to buy 15 million of cross pens and it normally trades 10,000 a day. And I go scoop up a bunch of it go, ahead of time. You go buy 10 grand of cross pens and then they come behind you and buy it up and it shoots up 17% and you sell to them in the process and you make a quick 17% flip, if right. you will. That's, that's front running. Yeah. Yeah. So that- Which is illegal or frowned upon? illegal I, I just want people to know like yeah, that's illegal yeah like so, not allowed in our industry and yeah. I by the way I knew that answer but I wanted David to answer right. it uh, now is there an environment where that happens and they look the other way yes that's what high frequency trading does oh. yeah, so that's a whole separate issue and a separate podcast and a separate show which we're not going to go into <laughs> but anyway um, I think we've probably beaten this horse enough, would you say? Yes. So uh, if it sounds too good to be true, there's a good chance that it is. And just be aware that those secrets of the market, if they were truly secrets, people wouldn't be sharing they them. They wouldn't be sharing them, right? So what it is, is it's a secret to sell you something. Maybe there's a service out there that's legitimate, but it is darn tough to vet them. And if you are not sophisticated, beware that the, the greed can make you overlook the details. So that is my word of caution. We got to take our next break. So. All right, stick around. And when we come back, lots more fun to discuss, but obscene commercial profit break right now. <laughs> so this is your host, Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. What happened uh, to radio? We don't say radio anymore. You've shortened it to True Wealth Show. Well, what if they're not listening on the radio? How would they not be listening on the radio? Well, if we podcast it, it's not on the radio. 
Are you really being semantic, though? It's not on TV. I kind of am. Well, but we're talking about. All right. So show of hands, <laughs> everybody. Shut if up. you're driving, you've got to keep at least one on the wheel. It so. is a radio show. We were at a radio station and it is on the radio. Just because just, we repurpose it into a podcast does not make hands. it a radio show. And I want to know how many folks would like to see this videoed. Right. Uh, like, would I you, am not would, that pretty. Would you? We'll, <laughs> David's we'll, not that pretty we'll either. We'll put really good lighting in. <laughs> okay. Do I get the diva ring? Like the whole cheesecloth, Marilyn Monroe? Yes. 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 No, I'm just getting What I would, I want the blue dot and I want my voice obscured so I sound like Snoopy. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of like Blue Man Group. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Like this show is terrible. Oh. Uh, we're pretty entertaining, though. And we talk a lot with our hands and our bodies that you can't see because oh, obviously we're on the radio. visual cues. I'm over here giving the cut signal and Katie's <laughs> like, well, I can't keep talking about that. It's like, no. I, I, and then I'm over here going, I can't stop her. Never and the mind. eye rolls. The eye rolls are great. <laughs> like, just, just carry on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you've learned after six years. <laughs> it's like, you know, you... You just try to corral it. You don't try to stop it. It just like you can't just... stop a rhino once it's started. You should know better. I told you my spirit animal is a rhino. Oh man, <laughs> my I, presence is known when I'm in the room. <laughs> in high school, we did the math on how much velocity a mosquito would have to have in order to stop a rhino. Oh my gosh! And it turns out. All that the mosquito has to do is travel at like 22,000 miles per hour <laughs> and it will stop a rhino uh, that's moving at like eight miles an hour. And, uh, you know, it's this whole mass thing. And I thought, well, yes, because that mosquito at this point is effectively a laser. But, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dr. Evil. <laughs> uh -huh. Take it back now. Laser. Laser. <clears throat> You gonna pet your hairless cat while you're at it, and oh, you know, do the little yes. pinky. Look what they did to Mister Bigglesworth. <laughs> okay, I am gonna just—I'm making my way through the news, and I'm gonna touch on controversy today. This one's gonna get me in trouble. What? You uh, never do stuff like that. Yes, I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna do this a little off the cuff for this segment. Let's have a good conversation about it. Let's play devil's advocate. I want to talk about student debt. Okay. Okay. And there is a political push to cancel student debt. Now, why is there why is there a political push to cancel it? What is the issue with student debt? Well, uh, other than what a lot of people just have too much it's of it. Giant, right? It's now I think it's ex it exceeds credit card debt and is second only to uh, like a mortgage. Homeowners. Okay, yeah, yeah, mortgages. I think it's the second largest debt on the balance sheet for the American population, not okay. counting the U.S. government's debt, which. I don't even know how to count that. <laughs> Moving and, on. And, okay. just, and neither do they. No. <laughs> True. So, so a lot of people carrying a big old chain of student debt right. around their neck. And this is, uh, we're, I want to talk about chess versus checkers today. Okay. okay. And how I think that canceling student debt is a very dangerous proposition. Okay. Okay. I think it's dangerous the same way that I think a wealth tax is dangerous. I've talked a little bit about that on this program before, that uh, a tax on wealth that it occurs just because you own something of value, regardless of whether or not you've sold it, is very dangerous. Right, because then you're forcing a sale and you could force yeah, the values to go down based on the right. sale. If and you're it's... forcing liquidity that isn't there, then you're either forcing the use of the financial system or you're going to ultimately force assets to be sold. If you're forcing a sale, you're changing the supply and demand curve and you, you risk 
major disruption to the financial system. Right. And when I say major disruption, I mean significant enough that it could have catastrophic effects to like government pensions across the entire country. Yeah, like, like like bankruptcy kind of collapse. So and it sounds like I'm you're like, oh, come on. You're just this isn't know. a conspiracy theory no, either. Like, this, I mean, if you think about I don't um, think it'll happen because people I think most folks really recognize that you couldn't do that. Well, you've uh, always talked about Bezos, right? Like if you make Bezos sell a large chunk of his company to I mean, pay and, taxes and people say things like, well, if it's only a half a percent wealth tax, nevertheless, if 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 Bezos was forced to liquidate five percent of his amazon shares it floods the market and changes the supply and demand curve right and if right. and and let's just say for example everybody's pension yeah. plan owns some of amazon because yeah. amazon's growing right. then all of a sudden all their pensions are worth yeah. less it also is a forced dilution right so it, it means that anybody, and where does it stop does it yeah, keep going it, it until he no longer owns gets, any shares there's really no ownership anymore if it's forced dilution uh <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, but that is that's like the march to truly a communist concept or a, a socialist concept, because forced dilution means, well, if nobody can own their stuff and they have to keep selling it back until everybody has the same proportion in ownership. I know. You just do. I know. Right? right. And everybody seems so shocked by that thought. Yeah. That's literally the concept. So, so how does student debt fooled. play into that then? So student debt. Here's the thing. It's. First of all, it's a slap in the face to everybody that paid for theirs. Uh, that okay. would be me. Okay, so ethically speaking, you're going to, pardon my French, but you're going to piss a bunch of people off that paid. Right. Right. And Or work to pay lives. for school. Or like parents that paid and they're like, well, look, I could have put that money in all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, uh, like my IRA. Yeah, I pay for, <laughs> or my pension I, you know, I pay for my kids' school. And, and keep in mind, their financial aid calculation includes an expected family contribution. Oh, yeah. Right. That's part of the financial aid equation. So if you basically didn't turn around and like, fine, we'll just forgive the debt. We'll just make it go away. OK. First of all, who owns the debt? The okay. banks do. Well, banks or the government. Or the and government. So if the government, their government's just like basically saying, we'll just let the taxpayer have more of it. So it go, it's not like the debt went away. We just gave it to everybody. It's a redistribution. Yeah, I don't play, like that. Right. One. I don't so want that's, that's to be one. carrying around someone else's student debt. But here's the other thing that's dangerous. Right. Right now, colleges have their own uh, cost of living index. Right. Yeah. How is it separate from ours, by well, the way? It's because it's just been going on long enough. And I'm not going to go into the why behind this one that, you know, uh, there are some there are some reasons. It drives me batty. I know it okay? does. Well, but, and because you are on a board and for the local being, college, so I'm being careful. you see Just, everything firsthand, though. And let me be very clear. I am speaking as a financial professional right now. Not as a representative of the college. Not as a representative of the, of the college, nor am I speaking as uh, from the position of, like, my, my role on a board of directors is very specific and fiduciary to the organization and to the taxpayer. And so I take it very seriously. We're talking about big picture philosophy here. Okay. Okay. And so if you say we cancel student debt, then what does that say about all the colleges that price things such that students took on a whole bunch of debt in the first place? So then are we canceling what the colleges charge? Well, the college. And are we canceling? It's sort of a, hey, get out of jail free. We could charge whatever we want. And how often are we canceling student debt? Is it a one time like we're just going to wipe it out and start from here? Or is it like every year we're going to wipe out student debt? I don't know how we do it. 
Like that, but that's kind of yeah. Those are my questions. Exactly. It's like okay, is so it, is it like it well, doesn't it, really fix the problem? It just says well, everybody else that made the sacrifices commitment to spend money they didn't have, and then we transfer it to the taxpayer. It's sort of a. Uh, <laughs> so how does that teach them to be financially responsible? I don't know that it does, but also how does it hold the college responsible for maintaining pricing controls? Because if there's an expected family contribution, then in effect, that's an unacknowledged tax on families that want to, that have to pay for education. And yet there's no cap to what education sets. They actually have their own parameters. And so the price, like, here's the amazing thing. Many organizations, many financial institutions cost more this year, even though all the classes are being delivered online instead of in person. Which is ridiculous because your actual expenses well, as a college is less. That's not necessarily true. That's not it. But the consumer of education is not getting the same thing they're paying for. And so online correspondence classes typically are cheaper. Why would they cost more to do it this way? And the answer is because the college has to spend money to adapt. Oh. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily make sense. And and we're seeing disaster. I read an article today that suggested that universities across the country are seeing uh, declines in enrollment as high as 43%. Well, yeah, so, because people want to show up and learn and they hate, they're, they're getting over the Zoom meetings. It, it is a, yeah, it's the, the nature of pandemic. But what well, I will suggest is that canceling student debt may sound really good, especially if you're the one with student debt. But right. the unintended consequence is that it takes all of the accountability out. out of the system and transfers all the risk to the taxpayer. And it's a false idea that the risk disappears. Which in some way sucks, right? Because it's not like the person with the student debt is necessarily the taxpayer. It's like, well, I took it away from you and I gave it to me. No, it's like the worst group project possible. <laughs> Everybody else goes out and says, well, you know, and what do you say to the person that didn't get a college degree and didn't get debt canceled? Yeah, now you got to pay like, for this debt that somebody to, else I charged. I chose a different path because I couldn't afford the education, but it turns out I should have just taken a loan out anyway because you were just going to cancel it. Yeah. So it hoses so many people. Now, I think that there are ways to work out how to better manage student debt because I think colleges have done a disservice by not holding pricing to the standard of living, right? Right. And, and I think the government incentivized that through the expected family contributions without a another the other half of the equation, which is if families have to pay for it, there's no price restrictions on colleges' ability to increase price, right? So it's kind of like a blank check to the college from an incentive perspective. Again, I'm just sharing philosophically here. We're not getting too And we're not picking on any one particular college right. either. And I'm just saying that this is what happens when the system doesn't have a check and balance. If you say, well, one person has to pay for it and the other person can charge whatever they want. Okay, yeah, that's uh, a bad equation, right? I mean, it's not feels, a natural market. Kind of feels like medicine a little bit, though, too. Well, it, it kind of is a little bit when we hide through behind insurance and there's not a lot of transparency in the process. Right. So this will be all right. So we're, we're, we're running long. This is the takeaway from all of this. I don't like the concept because I think it really gives the people that did it their own way. You know, it, it shortchanged them. Uh, it's not going to be free. Transferring risk has risk. So look, all right, the music's playing. We got to take a break. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. We got True Well on News Radio 1240. KQEN.
Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio, Radio Show. Show. Oh, I got it in there. Thank you for appeasing me. Wah, wah. Anyway, so what was your last point? You had a really good point. We were talking about canceling student debt, taking on risk, and transferring the risk to the consumer, in essence, right? Well, the taxpayer. There's the, you transferring the risk to the taxpayer. It's a one-time event, but it doesn't really fix it. Uh, I will evidence the the Reagan amnesty plan with immigration. People have been saying for years we should fix the system. I have said that we should fix the system, right? It's it's broken, and if we want to allow people in, let's make it more accommodative. Let's stop just not following the laws. Let's fix the laws. Right. Okay? Well. You don't get to say, well, let's just cancel student debt without fixing the system. And, and and so I don't think you can cancel student debt. I think that you could come up with ways to uh, create sort of debt forgiveness and other things where there's a certain amount of trade-off the same way that we see uh, like teachers. I, I know that my wife as a teacher came to a low income area and as a result what her debt was forgiven student debt was forgiven because she went to an area where they needed teachers and it was an incentive to get her to sort of they, but they basically bought her debt and paid for it yes her employer bought it and that's it, not uncommon medical medical debt will do that too like yes. if you well you that's know. how do you think we recruit doctors to rural oregon right, right? you know it's there's debt forgiveness programs and so forth to attract folks here so I think that there is something to be said for those sorts of trade-out concepts where the, the value is being exchanged, but it doesn't work to me in an equation where you basically give somebody a, like I said, it, the, the student has to take on the debt and the college doesn't have to maintain some kind of pricing controls when the family the expected family contribution is part of it right and the, and the only solve is we'll take on debt take on debt and people will say well every year it gets more expensive i well, want to okay, know why we keep the, in where's the threshold right why are we incentivizing we continue to incentivize bad behavior like why aren't we incentivizing good behavior yeah you know you know like oh you've paid your student debt all week or all week all year so now you get a bigger tax break or something for paying your student debt. Like let's let's incentivize you to actually pay the payments, well, not not pay the of, payments. Or if instead of transferring it directly to the taxpayer and just forgiving it, saying you make loan payments back, right, and we'll give you a certain amount of tax credit as a portion. That's my point. It's like a, incentivize. At least it's a hybrid. It's not a straight up giveaway. And the idea is that a college educa educated person will ultimately pay more back into the system over their lifetime. Right. We're just load balancing how paying it up front versus later well right? and the crazy part is the statistics now on people that have college debt that actually haven't finished college so now they've taken on all this debt and they're not even achieving the goal of finishing college to where they have the higher career because of the college education they get halfway through get all this debt and then can't afford to continue the debt and then bail out and still go work a lower end job than they would have had if they had finished their career path yeah i, I, I don't know so if i said that correctly i'm trying to make sure but it, yeah it's it's for the the Bottom line is simply that uh, the the circumstances. It's really hard for me to get behind a straight debt forgiveness plan. Right, like just a straight like debt wipe it out. Like uh, no, no. I'm just like no. There's got to be some appropriate um, incentives and structures in place that people are accountable to the dollars that are spent. And this is kind of my my larger. If I was gonna you know get on a soapbox today. <laughs> it would be about, I never do that. Uh, it's that we've got to start understanding that 
the money that the government spends isn't just monopoly money. There's this theory out there that just like in the game of Monopoly, the bank never runs out of money. Like you could spend it all. Everybody could have it in circulation in the game. And so what does the person running the bank do? They just write a, a note, like an IOU. And, and in the board game, it's impossible for the bank to go bankrupt. But in real life, that even with happen. the printing press, that can happen if the faith and credit of the U.S. government is compromised and the counterparty using the note, right, using the dollars, no longer trusts the value of the dollars. Slippery slope, my friends. Okay. Very so slippery. That's the thing is it really does matter. It's not a trees grow to infinity. We can't just print forever and, and have no consequences. I love it when you say that. The trees grow towards the sky, but they never grow forever. Like, they the just trees don't... grow toward the sky, not to the sky. Right. Right? It's, that's the thing. They, they are, there's a, there's at a some point, point at which, they stop. Well, there's a, you know, if you really get into it, a tree can only get so tall before its own weight is what kills it. Oh, right. It gets to a point where it can't get water all the way up there in order to keep it alive. It, there is a mechanical maximum that it will reach. Which I'm happy for, by the way, because I like to take airplanes to travel. There you go. <laughs> so and, and guess what? Our tax system has that, too. We're just not sure where the line is. Oh, there you go. All right. So look, we've covered tons of ground today. As a reminder, if you want to get uh, any of the stuff that you missed, check out the podcast. Uh, you can go to littlejohnfs.com, uh, educate tab, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. If there's stuff we didn't cover on the program. Uh, Send us since, an email. Shoot us a note on Facebook. Right? How do they reach us? 541-375-0898. Yep. And the, the email is super clever. Info <laughs> at littlejohnfs.com. But uh, there you go. You got the music, so you know we're out of time. Uh, as always, for your personal circumstances, we never give individual advice on air, but we give it to individuals all the time. You just got to call us. So 541-375-0898. So we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, until next time, thanks as always, Katie. Thank you for having me. All right, gang. This has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.